0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks or months, we've been going through a book in the Bible called Philippians. And the Bible, if you don't know, is made up of many books, 66 books. And Philippians is a book in the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible, which was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was one of the early church leaders and he'd written this letter to a church in Philippi, which he had started, and uh, he's now at this point of writing. He's in prison and writing to them um, because uh, he wants to encourage the church and to let them know he's okay. And uh, so we're going to be in chapter three today, so if you have a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words are going to come up on the screen, and uh, do read along with me, just so you know I'm not making it all up as I go along. So, uh, We're going to read the first first 16 verses of chapter 3, so it's quite a big chunk, and then we're going to unpack it together. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I've called today's message, Confidence Before God and Radical Pursuit of Jesus. Paul starts this passage by saying, finally, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you've been in church before, you'll know that when a preacher says finally, that it means that he's got loads more points to unpack. And he's just trying to keep your attention so that you don't give up on the sermon and think that it's going to go on for another few hours. Paul here has got loads more points to unpack. And he's saying, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is a big thing he wants them to get hold of. Rejoice in the Lord. He He wants them to see that despite circumstances in life that might cause us to be uh, miserable and discouraged and and sad, that actually we can rejoice in the Lord. We know that he's writing, as I've said already, from prison. He's showing that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can know joy. Because the joy that he's talking about is a deep joy that is, is rooted in the gospel, knowing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And that actually, as we grasp that, we can know joy. And he's talking here about a lifestyle of rejoicing, a lifestyle of joy, where we know joy each day. And as I was preparing this message, I was really thinking about us as a church and just wondering how many of us really know a day-by-day joy in God, a day-by-day joy in the Lord. I think for many of us, our experience can be one of, it's a bit hard, it's a bit arduous, it's a bit like a slog sometimes, and it's not really an experience of daily joy in the Lord. I think that's the case for many of us. And Paul, here is speaking to a church I think we're probably the same, where he's saying, guys, you need to see that there is a deeper joy to know that comes from reminding ourselves of the good news, that comes from being grounded in the gospel. You know, there's a fight of faith that we have to fight. Paul talks about it in the book of Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. It's really a fight for joy. It's a daily fight for joy. It's a daily fight, and the central strategy to that fight is reminding ourselves of the gospel, reminding ourselves of the good news. Paul was adamant that there is no good news other than the, the news that Jesus Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, has won for us relationship with God as our Father, one for us eternity with him, and it's all free, and it's not because of what we've done, And this is why he gets so angry, as we've read together in verses uh, 2 to 4, about these people who would come and share a different message entirely that is not the gospel. And in fact, it's something that's opposite of the gospel. He talks here about the dogs. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I need to unpack that a little bit because it seems quite foreign to us. Uh, It's almost like we've flicked on the TV and there's a foreign soap on and we haven't got a clue what's going on. He's talking here about dogs and mutilators of the flesh. What is he going on about? Well, you need to know that Paul, prior to coming to know Jesus, was a devout Jew. He was a zealous Jew. He he observed the rituals and holy days and uh, the laws of of Judaism uh, very strictly. And when he came to know Jesus, he realized that actually all of that, as we're going to see in a moment, all of that did not win for him confidence with God. And so he would go around preaching about the grace of God, the undeserved favour of God to those who place their faith in Jesus. And he would go around and preaching about this, but seemingly wherever he went, sometime later would follow a group called the Judaizers. He'd, he'd move from city to city having started a church, he'd move to another city or another country, And sometime later, these Judaizers would rock up and they would start to preach that actually it wasn't just enough that you believe in Jesus, but that you also need to be circumcised for the men. And you also need to do certain rituals and fulfill certain laws and observe certain holy days. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You have to do, do, do in order to be right with God. And Paul would get wind of this and would be absolutely furious with these Judaizers. And you see in Galatians um, chapter 5, That he's getting really cross with them and he says, I wish you would just go the whole way and emasculate yourselves. He's saying, just, you know, if you're going to preach about circumstances, just go the whole way, cut it all off. He's so angry with them. Why is he so angry with them? Why is he saying, beware these dogs, beware these uh, people who would mutilate the flesh? It's because he realizes that legalism is not the gospel. Fulfilling certain laws in order to be right with God is not the gospel. And it leads to us not really experiencing the joy in God that is ours because of Jesus. We can know a deep joy every day. And if we go along with these laws, we'll realize that we are not good enough. We'll realize that we can't measure up and it will lead us to misery we so often forget about this. I don't think there's anyone that I know of uh, in the church here trying to convince people that you need to get circumcised. I don't think there's anyone here trying to make us observe certain uh, rituals or to not eat certain foods. If that is happening, come and speak to me. And I know some big guys in the church here can go and have a word. This is not happening at Hope Church, right? But the danger is the same, is that we can easily slip into this religion that says you must do in order to be right with God. People might think that we we preach on the grace of God a bit too much here, or the gospel is the gospel of the grace of God. And we're called to preach the gospel. And so we're going to keep doing it. (laughs) We're going to keep doing it because it's the grace of God that changes lives. Paul says that we are the circumcision. That's saying we are the true people of God now. Those who worship by the Spirit, that means those who don't just worship God through singing, but actually with their whole lives in response to his mercy, in response to his goodness on our lives that we don't deserve, in response to him not treating us in the ways that we do deserve, in response to that, we live a lifestyle of worship. That is worship by the Spirit. He says that we glory in Christ. We boast in Jesus. The opposite to this is to put confidence in our flesh, to boast in our flesh, not our physical body, but on who we are, our background, or what we do, or what we don't do. Those who put their trust in their background, you know, I'm, a, I'm British and therefore I'm a Christian, or I was christened as a, as a baby and therefore I'm a Christian, or uh, whatever it might be, those who put their confidence in those things are not putting their confidence in Christ. It's about putting our confidence in what he's done, boasting in him. The believer sees that only Jesus is acceptable to the Father and trusts Jesus' life of perfect obedience, Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection, as the grounds of being right with God. So, this is a problem for us because we can so often revert back to the old way of thinking of we must do to get right with God. Let me just illustrate this to you. I wonder how many of you can um, identify with this uh, illustration. Just imagine for a moment you've just been to a church somewhere and you've heard the best preach that you've ever heard in your life. You're obviously visiting somewhere else that weekend. And uh, you've, you've heard this amazing preach and you're so deeply encouraged and you're driving back with your friends or family to, your, to where you live some lunch and you're just so gracious and patient with everyone in the car and maybe your kids are winding you up but you're just so full of patience and grace for them and uh, you you pull up in your driveway and you see your neighbor and you go and say hi to your neighbor with a smile and maybe you share something about Jesus with your neighbor maybe you offer to cut his lawn for him and uh, then you get inside and you just say to your spouse, how can I serve you today? You're, so, you're suddenly nailing it when it comes to being a spouse. How can I serve you today? And uh, you're feeling you know, very, very good about yourself. And that uh, afternoon, you think, I must catch up on my Bible reading, which I abandoned back in February. And uh, you think you resolve, in the next eight weeks, I'm going to get through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, and you, you're, gonna, you're resolving to, to pray every morning, to get up really early every morning. And uh, that night you're tempted to go and uh, do something sinful, look at something sinful that you shouldn't be looking at, but you resist, you say no. And as you lie your head on the pillow that night, you say, thank you God for blessing me. And you maybe pray and ask God for some things because you feel probably at that point, I have got some sort of merit here before God and I can probably, I've probably got some credit in the bank with God here because I've had a very impressive day. He's very impressed with me right now. I can ask him for some things. And then that morning, you set your alarm, six o'clock, I'm going to get up early, and uh, I'm going to have a great time reading Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And, And you wake up, and you realize you've slept through your alarm. And you've got to suddenly rush to get ready, and you don't have time to read the Bible, you don't have time to pray, and you don't have time to spend time with your children or your housemates or whoever it is, and you're a bit rude to them and you're a bit short with them. And then as you get into your car, you look across the street, you see your neighbour who you were very friendly to yesterday. You give them a bit of a kind of funny look because you just know you're late. And you, you realise as you get in the car that everyone in Ipswich has conspired together to make you late for work. Everywhere you go, there are slow drivers who should not be allowed on the roads. And you're swearing under your breath saying, come on, I need to get to work. And then you get into work half an hour late. And you see the lady there who despite the fact that there might be eight foot of snow outside, she will always be at work early. And she will look at you disapprovingly as if to say, late again. And again, you just, you just think really hateful thoughts towards that person. And then at, at lunchtime in the canteen, as you're discussing work with your colleagues, you fall into the trap of backstabbing your boss. And then you gossip about the person who's sleeping with so-and-so. And then you probably treat your, your colleagues badly in some way later in the day. And then you go home... And you just think, oh, such a rubbish day. And then you fall into that temptation that yesterday you you managed to avoid. And then you devour a kilogram bar of dairy milk chocolate to just drown your sorrows. And then you lay your head on the pillow at night and you think, God doesn't want to hear from me today. He He will not want to know. I've got no way of asking God for anything today because I haven't measured up. You know this then leads into a cycle of condemnation and guilt and hiding from God. And you know what we've read here is that you are just as righteous before God on that good day as you are before God on that bad day. You're just as righteous because it's not a righteousness of your own. It's the righteousness of Jesus that covers you if you have placed your faith in Jesus. You can come before God with confidence based on the works of Jesus on your behalf. God wants us to remind ourselves of this every day because we so easily forget. We so easily slip into works-based righteousness. Is it just me? No, it's all of us. It's all of us. God doesn't want this for us. He wants us to know a life of joy. We need to see that confidence in our performance is sinking sand. It's sinking sand. We're to glory in Christ. We boast in him. It's then that we get confidence before God. Glorying in Christ leads to confidence before God. Paul in verses 5 and 6 lists the many reasons that he would have had uh, to be confident before God. He talks about his upbringing. He was of the right tribe, the right stock. He knew the old sacred scriptures. He knew the languages. He was, according to the law, he was a Pharisee. He really was a guy who took the law seriously, except for the fact that we know that he oversaw the killing of many Christians before he came to know Jesus. So in fact, there was many ways in which he wasn't living up to the law. But he felt in the, kind of, uh, in the daily rituals and the daily way in, w- in which he walked before God, that he felt he was blameless. that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He counts all of that stuff that once he might have considered as being in his bank account before God. He counts it all up and it comes to zero. It's complete loss to him. Manor is most privileged, his most moral, his most upstanding, his most religious, his most zealous, his most devoted, is not fit and not acceptable to come before a holy God. We need to understand that. What does count? What does count is Christ himself. How does a person come to possess Christ who is alone the grounds for confidence before God? It's by faith. Verse 9, by faith. There was a guy, a missionary, uh, well over a century ago now called John Patton, who was a missionary to the South Pacific Islands, and he one day was sitting by the side of a road, trying to work out how to translate the word faith that we see in this, con- in this passage here. He was trying to work it out. How on earth do I communicate this to the natives in their own language? And at that point, as he was thinking it through, an exhausted man who was utterly exhausted and about to collapse came up to him and said, Please, sir, can I lean heavily on you? And it was at that moment that John Patton realised that faith is coming to lean heavily on Jesus. It's coming to the end of our striving, coming to the end of our exhaustion of thinking that we can try and measure up, and then coming to Jesus and saying, can I lean heavily on you? That is the faith that Paul is getting at here. He looks at all of these things, all of his striving, all of his labor, and he says it's all rubbish. And in fact, the word that he uses for rubbish is quite a strong word, that uh, if I used it right now, I might get a few uh, emails from some people this week to say you shouldn't have used that word on a Sunday, Tom. He's saying all of that stuff is complete rubbish. I cannot measure up. He glories in Christ. Christ is his only way to get before God confidence so you have to remember this when you go to bed tonight if you've placed your faith in Jesus you are righteous when you wake up in the morning whether you've slept through your alarm or not you are righteous when you come home from work tomorrow you are righteous because it's your status now it's who you are you're hidden in Christ you can come before God your father in the same way that Jesus can become before God the father isn't that amazing isn't that amazing it's the good news and not only is paul trying to uh, no longer is he trying to earn his right standing before god by his own merit but the the very things that were the basis of his identity have now gone the basis of his identity before coming to know jesus was that he was he was a hardcore jew he was he was really respected by people he really took things seriously and that was that was the basis of his identity, and now that has gone. For me, before I came to know Jesus, what I was striving after was popularity. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people, people to think I was funny. I wanted girls to like me. That was, I guess you could sum it all up with pride. It was a, it was a proud life that I was living. And I'm not perfect. But as I've come to know Jesus... More and more, my heart, which was gripped by the fear of man, fear of what people think of me, that's just started to be loosened as I've come to know Jesus more and more. Friends, when you come to know Jesus, you might get ridiculed because the very things that you were once pursuing are no longer the things that you pursue. I remember sitting on a bus with some of my friends and one of the girls said to me, she said, Tom, she was talking about the fact that I was now taking Jesus seriously. She said, Tom, it's like you've been brainwashed. I got ridiculed. Paul would have had that ridicule, but he says that ridicule is worth it. I've, I've suffered the loss of all things because what I've got now is far, far better. I know Jesus now. It's far, far better. So this righteousness that I've talked about this morning, this thing that we've got really excited about, it's not an end in and of itself. It's a springboard. It's a launch pad. It's from this springboard of us being made right with God by faith in Christ, it's a springboard into pressing into knowing Jesus more. It's a springboard. It's not something we simply celebrate and leave it at that. No, it launches us into knowing God more. It launches us into knowing more of who Jesus is. Confidence before God leads to a single-minded pursuit of Jesus Christ. Let's uh, read again verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that God had taken hold of him for a reason. Jesus had made Paul his own, and now... Paul's goal was to know Christ more. That was his great goal, was to know Christ more. Gordon Fee, who's written a great commentary on the book of Philippians, writes this, For Paul, the Christian life was not simply a matter of salvation and ethics. It is ultimately, for Paul, a matter of knowing Christ. So too with the resurrection. Paul's focus is not on everlasting life as such, but on knowing Christ himself. The goal for Paul was about knowing Jesus and becoming more like him. And he uses this analogy of a runner. Now, there's been a bit of a resurgence of running in this country, I think, in the last few years. I think it's because of Mo Farah, best runner in the world. He's ours, yes. And he's going to win again at the Olympics this summer. Everyone seems to be running. Everywhere I go, there's people talking about how they're running. I feel really convicted because I'm quite unfit. And everywhere I go, people are just getting into running. They're taking it really seriously and putting things aside and making sacrifices so they can get fitter and fitter. And Paul is saying with that same vigour, the same vigour that he formerly uh, persecuted the church, that same vigour that he formerly went after Jesus' followers to try to stop them, he now runs hard after Jesus. That same vigour, that same straining, he uses here This straining, a press on towards the goal, I strain forward. There's an effort here, there's a, there's a passion here. He says, I forget what goes behind. I forget what lies behind. Runners who want to run well don't keep looking back. They look forward. They keep their eyes fixed on the runner ahead of them. They don't look back. And it's not to say that we shouldn't look back and see the great grace and mercy that God has shown us over the years, but we should look back and dwell on mistakes and think, what was I doing? What was I thinking? This is not how God wants us to run. He wants us to keep running forward, going after Jesus, pursuing him more and more, pursuing knowledge of him. Jesus Christ had already won Paul, and now Paul, in response to that, runs after him. You need to get that order right, okay? Jesus, If you've placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus has made you his own. He's met, you're in his firm grip. I don't think there's anyone that I would rather not arm wrestle. Jesus has got a firm grip. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, he has made you his own. And now in response to that, we strive, we press on forward to know him more. There was probably many other targets in Paul's mind. He's probably thinking, what country will I go to next? What city will I go to next? What church do I have to sort out now? And yet his big goal in life was to know Jesus more. His one heart's desire was to know more of Jesus, to press in to know him more. Don't look back. Lock your eyes on the runner in front. Our life is lived looking forwards. God is calling us forwards. He's calling us upwards. We'll take our mind off earthly things. Next time we're in the book of Philippians, Tim will be looking at the earthly things that we could fix our minds on. Let's take our minds off those things. Let's fix our minds on Jesus. I want to read to you from uh, Psalm 63. It's a great psalm. Psalm of David who pursued God says this, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's not saying, I want to be a better person. I just want to be better. I want to improve myself. He's saying, God, I want you. I want you. I don't want anything else. I want you. I desperately want you. Just imagine for a moment you've been in the desert for a number of days. You've had no water. How thirsty you would be. How desperate you would be for just one drop of water. This is the thirst that God wants us to have for him. That we see that everything else really is a dry and weary land. Everything else is not really going to satisfy our thirst. Only God himself. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, For joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. This isn't a kind of namby-pamby verse that you stick on a nice picture of a lake and put on your fridge or something. This is David desperate for more of God, desperate for more of God. And Paul, we see here, he's straining forward, he's pressing on to know more of Jesus. I want us to ask a couple of questions of us this morning, and in a couple of minutes' time, uh, we're going to sing together and uh, worship our God together. The first question is this. What is it that stirs your affections for Jesus? What is it that stirs your affections for him? Think about that. It's probably going to involve, in some ways, it's going to involve being in his word and meeting him in prayer. But there may be other things that stir your affection for Jesus. Maybe it's being out into, in, the, in nature. I love doing that. I love seeing God's creation. Maybe it's singing and making music. I don't know. What, it, what is it for you? What is it that stirs your affection for Jesus? Work out what it is and do it. Second question, what is it that robs you of your affections for Jesus? What is it that robs you of your affections for Jesus in your pursuit of him? Work out what it is and cast them aside. A runner who's taking their running seriously, who's maybe got a half marathon in mind or who's maybe got a certain fitness goal in mind, they will cast things aside. They will forgo things, sometimes even good things like sleep and donuts. They will, they will forgo those things in order to pursue the goal they've set before them. Friends, our goal is to know Christ more, to know him more, to pursue him, to pursue intimacy with him. What is it that's in your life that is robbing you of your pursuit of God. Get rid of it. Cast it aside because there's something better. There is something better. There's no greater thing than knowing Jesus. There's no greater thing. We press in to know him more. Let's pray together, shall we? And ask God to, just to come and move amongst us. Father God, we, we thank you that our righteousness, our right standing before you is not dependent on our own merit. It's dependent wholly on Jesus his obedience to you, his perfect sacrifice in our place. Jesus, we say this morning, we lean heavily on you. We've come to the end of our striving. We've come to see that we can't measure up. We lean heavily on you, Jesus, because you do, and you have done. It is finished, and we want to know that every day. We don't want to fall back into this thinking that we have to earn it, Lord, we want to know you each day. We want to come before you with confidence each day. We want our prayer lives to be transformed in the knowledge that we have been made righteous by faith. And it's ours forever because Jesus doesn't change. It's Jesus' righteousness and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Thank you for that truth this morning that we stand in. And in response to your great mercy, Father, we want to go after you with everything we have. We want our souls to thirst for you as in a dry and weary land. We want to to pursue deeper and deeper relationship with you, Father. We want to know more and more of who Jesus is and what he's like. We want to know you more. Come and stir us up afresh, we pray. And Lord, I ask for anyone here who doesn't yet know you, I pray that they would this morning see that it's the, cease, the ceasing of effort, the ceasing of striving to be right with you that actually leads to us getting right with you. Seeing Jesus, our perfect spotless righteousness, beholding him, believing in him, trusting in him, leaning on him. I pray that anyone here this morning who doesn't yet know you would See that you are trustworthy, Jesus, and will place their trust in you. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.